from Kurtco Media. A cricket match in London, rugby in South Africa, baseball in Japan, the Kentucky Derby. Today we are going to explore the ultimate sports events for travelers and how they might just be the most insightful cultural experiences you can have. I'm Bruce Wallen, and this is Travel That Matters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Travel That Matters. This is the podcast where we explore the world's most exceptional and meaningful travel experiences, and we meet some of the fascinating people who make them possible. Now, in honor of this episode, coming out the week of Super Bowl, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. My guest is Larry Olmsted. He's a New York Times bestselling author whose latest book, it's called Fans, explores all the very surprising benefits of being a sports fan. Larry also happens to be one of the foremost experts on sports events. He's been to a ton himself all over the world, the Super Bowl, Wimbledon, the Melbourne Cup, cricket matches in the Caribbean, and many more. And he's written about them and on the subject several times for places like Rob Report and Luxury Magazine. Now, sports events might not be the first thing you think of when you think of meaningful travel, but based on his research and experience, Larry has a very different viewpoint. He's going to talk to us today about what makes some of these events better than others for travelers and how they can offer a truly unique window into cultures around the globe. Is a Super Bowl worth going to? You might be surprised by his answer. We're also going to talk to him about Rugby Sevens, Women's World Cup, the Kentucky Derby, plus a legendary tournament in Hong Kong where more beer is consumed than at any other event. All that and much, much more if you are a sports fan at all. Or if you just want to experience a highly entertaining cross-section of cultures, you're going to want to hear what Larry has to say. Just a quick note before we get to Larry, we will have details on all the events he talks about in our show notes. So give it a listen, give the notes a look, and get yourself excited about an epic sports experience. Larry Olmsted, welcome to Travel That Matters. Thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be with you today. So much I want to talk to you about sports, event, travel. We got the Super Bowl coming up. But first, let's start with your most recent book. It's called Fans, and it explores the personal and societal benefits of sports fandom. How does being a sports fan make me a better person? Well, surprisingly, there's been a ton of scientific research in the last few years. This has become suddenly a hot topic with psychologists and there are a number of mental health factors they've identified that avid sports fans enjoy more than non-sports fans. Things like uh, higher self-esteem, lower rates of depression. But generally, it's been proven that being a sports fan makes us happier. To a lesser degree, it makes us physically healthier. But you know what I found most surprising was just how pivotal a role sports fandom, just watching spectator sports and being a fan, has played in social betterment and the progress of the world from the civil rights movement through the women's rights movement, the social justice movement, and now mental health awareness. I mean, the, uh, the Summer Olympics did more for this issue in two days than the WHO and public health campaigns have in 40 years. 
So you mentioned, let's go back to the civil rights movement. Give us an example there. I mean, is it a sense of of building community and that is how it, it kind of creates these communities that societies can can bond over? Well, it just allows us to accept change more readily, even if it's not change we want. So, you know, psychologists have basically determined that sports fans are so passionate about their teams, like religion, that it literally becomes part of them part of the soul or part of the psyche. As a matter of fact, even more so than religion. They, uh, a poll in England found that people were more likely to be willing to change religions than soccer team allegiance, which is, is a pretty strong thing. And you don't hear about many people changing religion. So say you're a Brooklyn Dodgers fan and you're a racist, which a lot of people were at the time. And Jackie Robinson is you know, drafted to your team. Well, there were a lot of Dodgers fans who would rather have not had black players in the major leagues, but once he suited up and took the field, their choice becomes, do I accept this and support the Dodgers and move on, even if it's begrudgingly? And for most sports fans, it was yes. And that's a sort of first step towards acceptance. And initially, it was just Dodgers fans, but quickly, other teams started drafting black players, and this spread... And, you know, that was a pivotal moment for the civil rights movement. And even later, Martin Luther King would talk about what a role Jackie Robinson played. And it's that kind of, you know, force forcing us to to address our our own ideals. So is that something that's similar across culture, you know, around the world? So say we've got a football fan in England, a baseball fan here in the U.S., a cricket fan in Pakistan. Is this whole concept of, of the benefits of fandom, are they, are they the same in, in different places and with different sports? Yeah, it's actually surprisingly similar all around the world. I mean, uh, studies have been done in, in uh, amateur sports, professional sports, every kind of sport, every age group, every demographic, and they keep getting the same results, at least when it comes to team sports. Because you know whether you support your soccer team or your football team or the New York Yankees, these are sort of entities that are immortal. The players will come and go and will come and go, but presumably uh, when I'm dead and buried, the Yankees will still be playing baseball, which is one of the reasons why we kind of identify with teams. But I would say that the one big difference between the U.S. and other countries when it comes to sports is the level of nationalism involved. Our big sports are really domestic. You know, we get the Olympics and the Ryder Cup, but, you know, the team that goes to the Super Bowl is then not going to play all the best football teams from around the world. Most of the popular sports outside of the United States, which soccer and cricket you mentioned are the two biggest, all have a national team component, all have a World Cup component. Rugby's the same way. So we don't really have as much um, national pride and flag-waving wrapped up in our sports as most of the rest of the world does. I think you bring up an excellent point in that, in my opinion, sporting events are one of the absolute best ways to get a unique, very kind of realistic view into different societies, right? I mean, an American football game or, or a baseball game, I feel like every foreign traveler who can should go see a baseball game or, you know, minor league game, major league game, doesn't matter, or a football game. I can't think of a single thing that better represents American society than something like that. I'd have to agree with that. And it's it's not just going to a baseball game. It also matters, you know, even at the micro level where you go. I went to a, a Brewers game in Milwaukee this summer, you know, and it's very much about the culture of bratwurst and, uh, and beer more so than if you, you know, went to a Yankees game and it was about, you know, sushi and, and prime rib sandwiches. So <laughs> I think uh, it's a, a very much a sense of place when you go to sporting events. But 
really what what makes it so inviting culturally to the traveler is that sports, spectator sports are always a true melting pot. You know, one of the things I found in doing my book that makes it so easy to talk to sports fans is it cuts across every divide, uh, income, education, age, religion, politics, and you're going to get that same mix at a sporting event. So when you go to say the Melbourne Cup in Australia, you're getting to see a microcosm of all of Australian life in that one stadium having a lot of fun. It's a really good way to get into the culture. And like you said, you know, people come to the U.S., you go to a game. Well, we should go to a baseball game in Japan and you'll really get an insight into culture. That is something I very, very much want to do. I have, you know, I've been to, I saw Chelsea Manchester United match at, at Stamford Bridge and it was, I mean, that's one of my fondest memories from travel. And, and, you know, I've seen cricket matches with my dad and with my son at Lord's Cricket Ground. And those are things that really, really stand out as unique travel experiences that, that aren't, you know, there aren't on some itinerary or anything like that. It's just, it's, it's really, like you said, a great microcosm of whatever culture you're in. Yeah, and, and most sporting events have both traditions, which you know may be nonsensical or they may make sense, but they're you know local and specific foods attached to them. So you know, which again is is a big part of travel is you know trying things that are local, and you get that at the stadium. So what you mentioned baseball in Japan, great example. What are some of the sports or the sport you know specific sporting events that you feel like do this best? You know, they they really represent a culture, and, and you're going to go to this event or or this sport and get a unique window into this world. I love the Melbourne Cup, which I mentioned. I was I've been to Australia a few times, and I was traveling there, and it happened to be on Melbourne Cup Day, and I didn't know anything about it, and they call it the race that stops a nation. And actually in, in Victoria, it's a legal holiday. Like we think the Super Bowl is a big deal, but it's not a holiday. You know, <laughs> they don't close schools for it. But, you know, I was like, huh, the race that stops a nation, what's up with this? And it really is like the biggest thing that happens in Australia all year. And then I got, it kind of got planted in my mind. So I made a plan a couple of years later to go back and actually attend it. And it really is the entire country focuses on having fun for a day. So is there any, you know, if there's a country or a destination that you can think of where, you know, you, if you go to this place, you have to go see X, you have to go see this sport or this event. Are there countries that you feel are so tied to their sporting events that it's like a, it's a key part of any trip? Yeah. And another event that I was going to mention that's, that's really a surprise that's worth, you know, kind of traveling for is, is uh, rugby, whether it's, you know, the Rugby World Cup, which has been in South Africa and some fantastic places, or Rugby Sevens, which is like a sleeper sport that anyone would love. The big one is Hong Kong, but they have, you know, tournaments all over the world. And, you know, a place that's really associated with it is Fiji. If you go to Fiji, you know, like you go to the tourism site, or you read about Fiji, everyone will tell you, oh, you have to see rugby while you're there. And it seems like, you know, not maybe what you would think of when you think of, of Fiji, but it's it's kind of so tied to the culture. In a similar vein, cricket, which whether it's India or even the only cricket match I've ever been to is in Nevis. So, you know, the West Indies, it definitely a big part of life in the Caribbean. You brought up the, the Hong Kong event. I read a story that you wrote in Luxury Magazine recently. I think it said that that event, there is more beer consumed than any other event on earth. That is what they claim. And the last time I looked into it, they sold 320,000 pints of beer and the stadium holds just under 40,000 people. 
So that's an average of eight <laughs> pints a person. And, you know, you have to be 18 kids go. So I'm guessing the average is probably closer to like 11, which is a lot of beer to drink at a rugby match. So I wonder, are they measuring that on the per person rate is the highest or the actual overall consumption? Either way, very, very impressive. That is an event that like people will go to once, love it, and make plans to sort of go every year or every other year and build their whole calendar around that Hong Kong Sevens. Like the Kentucky Derby events like that. So speaking of Kentucky Derby, I know that's a, a personal favorite of yours. Tell us, what is that like in your opinion, how best to do a big ticket event like that? How do you, how do you go about that? I, I like the sporting events that have a lot of tradition and a lot of spectacle around them, you know, like for really for me, my favorite sport is NFL football, but I'd rather go to the Derby than the Super Bowl because it's more fun. And the Derby is really almost like a four or five day event, not just uh, the, the fastest two minute in sports. There's all these balls and parties and events around the city leading up to it. And then the day before is the Kentucky Oaks, which is sort of the second biggest race day on the calendar in Louisville for the whole year. And what a lot of people don't know is that all the tickets are sold and all the packages as a two-day thing. So when you buy a ticket to the Derby, you get the Oaks Day, whether you want it or not. So you might as well go, and it's another big dress-up day, but it's also sort of a dress rehearsal. You know, you go to the Oaks, it's a little less hectic, a little less crowded. You figure out where the closest bedding window and the closest bathroom and the closest mint julep stand to your seats are. And then the next day when you go to the Derby and you have the same seats, you're all set. But what you really should do for the Derby to do it right is spring for a hospitality package because there's a number of sort of private lounges all throughout the track. And if you get seats that are associated with that, well, then you can go in and place your bets and get your drinks at the open bar and eat something without waiting in any of the long lines. And often the weather is not the best. It can be really hot or it can rain and a lot of the seats are uncovered. And this way you kind of have a place to go and take a break. So, you know, you don't have to spend a ton, but I, I would definitely go for a package that combines seats with access to one of the lounges or hospitality facilities. That's relevant advice to a lot of these events. I mean, I, I'm thinking about the Masters, which is one of my my personal favorite events I've ever attended. And that one, I mean, you definitely want access to some of these, you know, suites, whoever, whoever's sponsoring them, you want to find a way in. Yeah, absolutely. And and I mean, the Masters is generally considered the hardest ticket in sports, mainly because there's so few available and they're really strict about it. The Masters and the Super Bowl certainly are the two most expensive you know, events in the U.S. to attend as a spectator. I mean, some people go to the Masters every year. I, I think for most golfers, it's probably more of a bucket list thing, but there's a lot of other events. You know, I kind of put these alternatives. And if, if you've been to the Masters once, I, I'd suggest going to the Phoenix Open, which is the most attended golf tournament in the world. They call it the greatest show on grass, and it is a big party. It's like the Hong Kong Sevens of golf. The greatest show on grass. Yeah, that that is a big, big party. And that one often coincides with that one. We got that one coming up right now. It coincides with the Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing. A lot of people, when when you have your bucket list, you want to go to the Super Bowl because you love football. But the problem with the Super Bowl is, unless you're a Tampa Bay fan last year, you know, your team is probably not going to be in it. It's certainly not going to be at your stadium. You know, you're kind of taking a crapshoot on what the game is going to be. So if you're going to do that, you should do it in the same with the Olympics. You should, you should focus more on place. So, you know, maybe this year you don't want to go to LA, but when the Super Bowl is in New Orleans, 
Indianapolis, Denver. These are the Las Vegas where it's going to be in two years. These are the best places. I, I think the best place to go is always when it's in a downtown stadium. It's like when they have it in Dallas or New York, people take these buses out an hour to the stadium. By the time they get back, everything is over. Whereas if you're in a downtown, the party just rolls out into the streets, right? New Orleans, you walk from the Superdome to about a thousand bars after the game. Right. I think, look, I think that's great advice too for just regular sporting events. I mean, you know, I think of Wrigley Field where, you know, again, if you're a foreign tourist visiting Chicago, you've got to go to Wrigley Field. I mean, it's, it's such an experience and you're right in downtown. You can walk right out and there's bars everywhere and there's batting cages and restaurants, whatever, you know, it's all part of the experience. It's not just the game. It's everything around it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I personally have not been to Wrigley Field. It's sort of on my to-do list for sports. I've been to Fenway a number of times because I live in New England. You know, they're the two oldest stadiums. But that's what's interesting about baseball is it's, it's so much more driven by the character of the individual stadium. And we'll be right back to hear about many more epic sports events for travelers. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these, I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs. We hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen. Welcome back to my conversation with New York Times bestselling author, Larry Olmsted. That brings up, you know, you mentioned, we're talking about the Masters and the Super Bowl. Super Bowl is a different venue every year. Masters, same venue every year. Or, you know, look, the British Open, different venue every year. What are some of the advantages to something that is in the same place every time, like Wimbledon, Masters, compared with something that, that moves around to different locations? Well, I mean, you, you get it wired where you stay. Usually there's events that people make their reservations a year in advance. I mean, of all of those, probably the best example would be Monte Carlo, the Grand Prix. You really have to make your room reservation a year in advance. And there's fans like George Lucas who always takes the corner suite, you know, so he can overlook two sides of the of the track. And people who, who know where they're going to stay, where they're going to eat, make their reservations a year in advance, you know, just, just knowing the place, having a place to stay, knowing the lay of the land, you know, maybe where it's less crowded. And then conversely, with the events that do move, you have the opportunity to do these kind of meccas. Like if you go to the British Open, you should go when it's in St. Andrews. Which ones of these big ticket events, Super Bowl, Kentucky Derby, Masters, Monaco Grand Prix, which ones are worth it and which ones, quite frankly, aren't? I mean, I think the Kentucky Derby definitely is. If I could afford to do it in style, I could go every year. I mean, it's that much fun. The Masters, if you are a big, I'm a big golf fan. I don't personally love the Masters because I think of like 
the importance of the tournaments and the history, the British Open being the oldest and the U.S. Open being the most competitive. To me, they're higher priorities, but the Masters is certainly a better experience than going to the U.S. Open. Wimbledon, yes, worth the money. The Super Bowl, unfortunately, no. You know, I went, it was a big deal for me because I love football. And then it was disappointing because most of, almost all of the tickets are corporate. So, you know, people who don't watch football, watching their phones, very little sound, very little buzz in the stadium, just doesn't feel like a sporting event. The Olympics is a big ticket one that I think is definitely worth doing right. But again, you know, pick your place. Like I love, I love winter sports. I have no interest in going to Beijing, but in two years, it's going to be in Cortina. Yeah. Cortina. I I think you and I both have a thing for the Dolomites. So that's, that's a, that's going to be on my list for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's one, you know, you can really build a trip around that same thing. The Ryder cup is going to be in Rome in 2023. It's never been in Italy before. Right. So if I'm going to go on a golf trip to play, yeah, I'd rather go to Scotland or Ireland, but would I rather go on a vacation to see the Ryder Cup in Rome than, you know, some golf course in northern Scotland, remote northern Scotland? I'll take Rome. Let me ask you, what is your, you say NFL is your favorite sport, but what is your favorite sport to attend internationally, nationally, whatever it is? Ooh, that's a tough one. I mean, I really like baseball because, as I said, like it's so driven by the stadium, the city it's in, the country it's in. It's different if you go in Japan or you go in the Dominican Republic, but it's also very different if you go in Chicago or you go in the Bronx. And and it's a it's a pace that allows you to relax and enjoy the event. And then also rugby sevens. Several years ago, I went. I was assigned to write about the Rugby Sevens World Cup in Las Vegas, and I had never been to a Rugby Sevens match. And it's basically the fastest-paced game. The games are 14 minutes long. They're nonstop action. You don't have to know anything about rugby to understand what's going on in front of you. And it's rapid-fire game after game, and they're always a big field because you can't just have two teams because they play match after match. And it's internationally driven. So now the U.S. one, which is actually coming up in March, is in L.A., two-day event. But because it's national teams, you look at the stadium, it looks like the U.N. General Assembly. You know, every country has a section. They're all painted and in costume and waving flags, but in a friendly way. That's an event I would go to anywhere I was where there was a Rugby Sevens match. Well, good. We will see you in L.A. in March then. That sounds fantastic. We'll have to have to mark that on the calendar. So you brought up the baseball, the stadiums themselves being such a part of the character. It also brings up something like the World Series, where it is a home and away type of setup, where the, you know, the Super Bowl is not. So you really do have a passionate fan base in each location that you're going to, to be. And how does that affect these kind of big ticket events like the NBA Finals, World Series, things like that that are held in a home and away type format? I mean, it definitely, it's great for the people who have season tickets and their team makes it. It's a little harder as a spectator sporting event for the general public because A, you don't know who's playing in the finals until pretty close before, you know, so then you have to make your travel plans at the last minute. But also all of the events you you mentioned, whether it's the NBA finals, the World Series, the playoffs, the Stanley Cup, you don't know if there's going to be four games or seven. 
everybody wants to go to game seven, but most of the time there is no game seven, you know, so you get a lot of people getting tickets to games that never end up being held. You know, you're really better off going to like game one, (laughs) which you know is going to happen. So they're the hardest, you know, from a, a traveling perspective to attend. That's why, you know, the Super Bowl, the college football championship game, even the final four, right? you know, the final four is going to be when it is, even though you don't know who's going to be in it. So I think, you know, those are easier to, to build your schedule around in advance. Going back to one other thing you mentioned, you brought up how rugby sevens is something you can understand as a fan, even if you have no idea, you've never heard about it before, which is definitely convenient. Although, you know, I look, I've, I've been to two cricket matches. I have no idea what's going on. I bought, you know, bought a rule book, tried to read it, couldn't. <laughs> in fact, it was at one point in, in one of the times I went to Laura's Cricket Gown, one of the, the batters hit the ball. I don't even know if you call it a ball. What do you, what do you call it? <laughs> and, and, and it flew, in, you know, out essentially into the bleachers where I was sitting and I caught it. Like I, like I caught a home run in, in a baseball game and I'm sitting there, thinking, you know, celebrating the fact that I caught it and everybody in the stands is looking at me kind of funny. And I realized at a certain point, like, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to throw this back. <laughs> so I, I threw it back on the uh, thing and sat down sheepishly. But it was one of those moments that, you know, very thrilling, but also kind of embarrassing that I had no idea what was going on. So back to that idea, the, the kind of cultural component of sports, what are some of kind of the more under the radar? You brought up Rugby Sevens, which I think is a great one. What are some of the other under the radar sports or, or specific events that you think, what a great way to go experience a place? One kind of hidden gem, I went to the E1 race in Monte Carlo, which is, you know, the electric version of the F1, and it's very similar but without the crowds and without the crazy expense. So it's a way you could actually go and experience the same circuit, the same fancy hotels and restaurants and scene in Monte Carlo, but do it without spending an arm and a leg and planning it year in advance. That's kind of, I think, a little bit of a, of a hidden gem. The Palio in Siena, in Tuscany, you know, was uh, the horse race in was in the beginning of one of the James Bond movies. It's not something a lot of people think of as like a spectator sporting event. Well, they certainly do in Tuscany, but you go to that and that's a pretty awesome way to spend a day. And again, you're in Tuscany. I've had friends go to that, that I've suggested it to. They've all loved it. One that I think it, it's kind of slipped in popularity in recent years is heavyweight championship fights. I'd love to go see one, especially in Vegas. You know, it's really the place I think of for that. And they still have them. You know, you don't have as as charismatic, maybe, you know, famous boxers as, as I grew up with. But, you know, that's a, a, a whole kind of culture into itself that I haven't really been exposed to. I'd love to go see a title fight. What about kind of alternatives? You brought up a, a couple already, but, you know, I'm thinking something like the Women's World Cup, for instance, they it, spectacular. I have friends who went last summer in Paris and loved it. And and this is something you know, it it's televised. It gets a lot of publicity, of course, but it's not publicized on the level of the Men's World Cup. And, and so, are there other events like that that you can think of that do this instead of that? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to work the Women's World Cup in regardless. <laughs> I am a big fan. And, you know, women's soccer has been more successful in the U.S. than men's soccer. It's easier to get tickets and it tends to be in really good places. Like you mentioned, Paris, the 2023 is across New Zealand and Australia, right? So that's a pretty good road trip. Alternatives would be, let's say, you know, we talked about Monte Carlo, very hard to go to. Probably the next biggest Grand Prix that's a, a lot of fun, really well done, would be Singapore. It's it's an event that's really growing in stature, and a lot of people are planning to go to that instead. 
not really an alternative because it is the biggest sporting event in the world in terms of participation, but the Indy 500, you know, is one that I love that's really easy to go to. Indy is a welcoming, easy city, and you can always get tickets. It's a super user-friendly event. You know, in the Super Bowl, it's hard to have an alternative, but in terms of just like hoopla and football and really kind of a celebratory atmosphere, the Rose Bowl, it doesn't really matter who's in it. It's always going to be a big deal. It's going to be relatively good weather. It's going to have the parade. That's one I think. Have a uh, parade, yeah. You know, people don't don't always think about. Okay, so all these events you've been you've been to so many, so many great big ticket events, small minor league games, whatever it is. What is on your kind of future plans for for sporting events that you you plan to attend? Well, I have to say it's early in the year, but I have already attended my first event of the season. I went to the uh, Men's World Cup Downhill and Super G in Val Gardenia uh, in the last month in the Dolomites, which we mentioned. And I love skiing, but I had never been to an event like this. You know, there's in every sport, you know, he mentioned like, you know, the British Open going to the old course, right? And in every sport, there's there's venues that are more important, tournaments that are more important. And, you know, this... uh Val Gardena Men's World Cup stop is one of the most treasured in all of skiing, and it finishes right in the middle of town. So that was really something. I, you know, there's another sport that is pretty easy to see in person. They're racing every week somewhere. They're racing in Beaver Creek or Killington here in the states, or you know, Canada, but also all over Europe. And as a result of writing my book, I have become a sort of absentee fan of the Las Vegas Golden Knights played a very dramatic story in terms of community healing post-trauma after the shooting there. And I have not been to a Knights game. So that is on my list. And I'm a Buffalo Bills fan and the Bills are really good now and I love the wings. So I'd like to get to back to Rich Stadium next fall. So as of this recording, the Buffalo Bills are still still alive. So <laughs> hopefully when, we're, when we air the show, they will be as well. I predict that when you air this, they will be on their way to the Super Bowl. <laughs> okay, we're going to keep that in there. It's a bold prediction. Good luck to you with that. And thank you so much for joining us on Travel That Matters. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Take care, Larry. And now for the Wallen Wrap-Up. Well, Larry did not turn out to be so great at predicting Super Bowls, but he is a very wise man when it comes to the best sports for travelers. He mentioned cities with great downtown stadiums, and, and that got me thinking about some of the games and, and matches I've been to in, in different cities and how those moments can really capture a sense of place better than just about anything else, in my opinion. And a long time ago, I was the editor of a volleyball magazine, of all things, and I remember there was this big pro beach tournament in Chicago over Labor Day weekend. It was a great event right on the shores of Lake Michigan, but I had never been to Wrigley Field before, so... Midday through the first day, I snuck out with a couple of friends to see a Cubs game. And I have to say, as a lifelong baseball fan, I got chills when I walked into that stadium. It, it was definitely one of those moments for me. We also, of course, had you know a ton of fun drinking beers out in the sun and cheering on the Cubs. So much so that we came back and did it all over again the next day. Volleyball in the morning, Cubs in the afternoon. Now, that was a Sunday, and that night, the Cubs were leaving town and the Crosstown White Sox were coming in for a day game on the Monday holiday. My friend and I were scheduled to fly back to LA that night and, and we decided we should go to the White Sox game on the way. But then we realized something even better. Later that day, 
the Bears were hosting the Cowboys at Soldier Field for the first Monday night football game of the season. Needless to say, we canceled our flights. We went straight from the White Sox game to the Bears game, and we had pretty much the most epic sports spectator day you could have. Our new flight the next morning was like hideously early. I'm sure we were absolutely miserable, but I don't remember that part. I just remember that it was one of the absolute best travel decisions I have ever made. So, lesson number one, Chicago is hands down the greatest sports city on the planet. I might have some detractors there, but I don't care. That is my call, Chicago, number one. Number two, it's always a good idea to cancel your flight, stay a little bit longer, and do something you're never going to forget. I'd like to thank Larry Olmsted for joining me today on Travel That Matters. For more information about his book, Fans, and some of the amazing events that we talked about today, please check out our show notes or visit KurtCo.com. The show is produced for KurtCo Media by AJ Mosley. Assistance by Monica Kelly. Music by Joey Salvia. I'm Bruce Wallen, and we'll see you down the road. <laughs>